0: Hello, City Paper readers. What you're about to hear is our attempt to give everyone a little literary escape. Listen, we love journalism, we really do, but after a year like this, we think we could all use a break. That's why we asked seven local writers to share their best fiction, essays, poetry, and lyrics with us for a veritable Santa sack of stories. So pour a cup of cocoa and curl up next to the fire, or fan, and enjoy our annual lit issue. This essay is entitled The Gift. It's written by Corey Wan. The box was sitting in the corner of the apartment like a present that had been sent to time out. I discovered it late January, the day we finally threw up the tree out. It was sitting in a pile of dead pine needles one inch safe from a miniature pile of cat vomit, looking expectant like it had been patiently waiting. And what's this? I picked it up. She was flipping through a magazine, her inaction to help take down the tree as willful a protest as getting it. The planet is dying, but we're cutting on trees to celebrate. Dunno, it's not mine. For a second, it felt like the last last page in the Polar Express. I'd open the box and there'd be a bell inside and a note from Santa, fix that hole in your pocket. Only this box wasn't wrapped in red and white striped paper, and there was nothing Christmas about it. It was plain cardboard, the size of a baseball, and unmarked six or seven varying lengths of tape held it shut like whoever left it needed to make sure it was closed and stayed that way should i open it i guess so matt she said putting the magazine aside though if you didn't leave it there and i didn't leave it there where'd it come from angie always had to make something out of nothing she called it being a deep thinker i privately called it being dramatic she got up took a bottle of white from the fridge and poured herself a glass i put the box on the kitchen counter we both stared at it she handed me her glass i took a healthy slug I mean, what's with all that tape? I asked. Maybe it's a shrunken head or, like, human teeth. Why would it be teeth? Why would a box be randomly sitting in our living room? Plus, where else are you supposed to keep trophy teeth? Oh, now it's a serial killer's box? Holding the glass of wine out in front of her like it was bait, Angie led me towards the bedroom. Only one mysterious box I care about tonight. Bring that bottle. Later that night, in the dark, we heard mice sounds from the kitchen, scurrying sounds. We lived in an old third-story walk-up. Still, we never had a mouse problem. We had Jasper. Jasper, mice, I called from the bed. Go do cat things. But Jasper remained on the dresser, alertly looking out the bedroom door. Weird, Angie said, sitting up in bed, pulling the covers with her. Useless. Maybe it's not mice. Maybe it's the box. Then shut it, box. People are trying to sleep. Coincidence, I'm sure, but after that, it was quiet. The next morning, the box sat in the middle of the kitchen floor. Angie called an exterminator. I tossed the box in the pile of junk mail that accumulated by the unused sandwich press. I wish I could say I forgot about it, but I felt that box every second I was in the kitchen. It didn't help that Angie began sending me pictures of it. One in the morning, another in the afternoon with the caption, Box moved. The afternoon photo was maybe an inch to the left, but Jasper could have done that. Next morning, out at a client coffee, she sends me a picture of it on the floor. Caption, Box fell. When I got home that night, I felt inexplicably angry. She was at the sink, washing our two-day-old dishes. What the fuck? I asked, red-faced. What? What the fuck? Enough with the box already. I was in a meeting. It's not funny. I wasn't joking. The box fucking moved. I heard it. That scurrying sound again. I started to interrupt. And it wasn't Jasper. He was with me. It can't move, I sputtered. It's a box. Well, what if something's alive in it? But I'd lifted it before. It didn't feel like there was anything in it. I picked it up again, shook it hard. Sure enough, no sound at all. I set it back down. Clearly, we're opening that fucker tonight. Well, I'm not doing it sober. Angie made cheese dip with the weed chili oil her friend gave her. We watched old reruns of Park and Rec until it took effect. I figured this would be another night when we went to bed, sleepy, stoned, at peace. The box could wait. Only shortly after Polar does her fresh prince wrap. Our eyes were so squinty we could barely open them. Ange ran into the kitchen in that tiny white t-shirt with her not-so-tiny ass falling on those red undies and squealed, I'm opening the box! Don't, I said, falling off the couch, stumbling after her. But she'd already grabbed off the counter and slid her finger under the tape. I swear it sounded like a guillotine dropping. There was a whoosh, and the box was open. Oh, that's just weird, she said. She set the box down the counter and backed away from it. A moment later, she went into the bathroom and vomited. Later, she would swear it wasn't the box, it was the food from that Japanese place I liked. It's not untraditional if you put mayonnaise on everything, it's just chubby. Have you ever gone from being perfectly stoned to perfectly sober? No, me neither, but it happened that night because taped to the bottom of the box was a tiny doll hand. It was half-closed as if it was meant to be holding something, but lost it. And around the doll hand was a perfect curl of hair. Brown, fine, the kind you clip from a young child to preserve, the kind you take from a lover you'll never see again. Maybe it was the food. Suddenly, my stomach didn't feel so hot, either. Why is there a box with a doll hand and human hair sitting in our fucking living room? Angie called from the bathroom. I reminded myself about that study that said intelligent people swear the most. Then I thought about all those weeks the box had sat around, all the times Angie said it moved. What should I do with it? Throw it the fuck out. All right, I said sharper than I meant to. All right. Only throwing it out felt wrong. So after I loudly closed and shut the cabinet door that had the garbage can hidden behind it, I shoved the box into the back of our coat closet, right next to Angie's cowboy boots that required both our efforts to put on and take off. Over the next few months, things didn't go so well between me and Angie. Her humor became grating. Her drinking became overt. At least I controlled my lushism. Maybe we would have broken up before the box. Maybe not. When I jokingly told her I blamed it, she snapped, It's not the box. It's that you're emotionally insufficient. I prefer to think it was the box. My name was on the lease, and she decided to move out. I suppose it was only a matter of time. When she packed her coats and shoes and unused tennis rackets from the front closet, I could have said she had become sportingly insufficient, but I didn't. She found the box. Ugh, tell me this isn't. She didn't look inside to confirm. We both knew it was. That night with a door slam and an unfollow me on everything immediately. Also, an and I'm keeping the Netflix login. Still raining in my ears. I sat down with the box at the now sandwich pressless counter and poured a sturdy glass of rye. Three glasses later, I added a few more pieces of tape, then carried the box downstairs and outside. I took it into the bodega on the corner. Not the one with the good breakfast sandwiches, the other one, where the chocolate chips cost seven fifty a bag, and the kid always ID'd me for my guilty pleasure pack of smokes. There I stashed the box behind a $2.50 can of SpaghettiOs. Telling from the accumulated dust on the lid it would take them a few weeks to find it. Good. It would want a few weeks to settle in. To read and hear more, visit charlestoncitypaper.com slash litissue.